you take your Bible at this time and turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians in chapter number two. We're going to continue on with our series in the book of Philippians called Rejoice in the Lord. And the title of today's message is The Greatest Workout Ever. All right. And uh, let's go ahead and stand together as we read this passage, Philippians chapter two and verses. I will read just two verses together, uh, verse 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Here Paul again is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, thank you that your word is alive and it is powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, thank you that your word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And Lord, it, your word changes lives and it's able to make us wise unto salvation. Lord, I pray that you would use your word today to accomplish your purposes. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would... Uh, make the Word of God, make this message powerful in each of our hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray that it would change our lives and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The greatest workout ever. So, of course, that begs the question about the other workouts that we have. How many of you honestly enjoy exercising? Would you raise your hand? Oh, look at you. Crazy, crazy people. I figured there would be a few. I didn't realize there would be that many who actually enjoy exercising. There does come a point in most people's lives when exercising ceases to be fun and becomes a lot of work and difficultness. I was reading here about, uh, somebody wrote here, daily exercise for the non-athletic. And so, of course, that piqued my interest because that kind of, I fit in that category, the non-athletic. And so they said, here's a calorie guide citing a recent medical uh, association report. Proper weight control and physical fitness cannot be attained by dieting alone. Many people who are engaged in Sedentary occupations do not realize that calories can be burned by the hundreds by simply engaging in strenuous activities that do not require physical exercise. I'm thinking this is kind of the shortcut I've been looking for. So here's the guide to calorie burning activities and the number of calories per hour that they consume. Okay, beating around the bush, 75 calories an hour. Jumping to conclusions, 100 calories per hour. Climbing the walls, 150 calories an hour. Swallowing your pride is only 50 calories. Uh, Passing the buck, well, that's only 25 calories. Throwing your weight around, depending on your weight, 50 to 300 calories an hour. Dragging your heels, 100 calories. Pushing your luck. 250 calories. Making mountains out of molehills, 500 calories. Hitting the nail on the head, 50 calories. 
Wading through paperwork, 300. Bending over backwards, 75. Jumping on the bandwagon, which happens quite a bit during this time of year, 200 calories an hour. Running around in circles, 350. Eating crow, 225 calories. Tooting your own horn, only 25 calories. Adding fuel to the fire, 150. And opening a can of worms is 50 calories. I read also this week about a retired couple who decided that they uh, should start walking two miles a day to start to keep in shape and, and uh, to get into shape. So they chose a, a, to walk a mile out on a lonely country road so that they would have no choice but to walk back. So their plan was to walk one mile and then turn around and walk back. At the one mile mark on their very first venture, the man asked his wife, well, we made it to the one mile. Do you, uh, you think you can make it back all right or are you too tired? Oh, no, she said, I, I'm really not tired. I, I can make it back okay. Oh, good, I'm glad you said that, he replied. I'll wait here. You go back, get the car, and come get me. <laughs> and, you know, that's the idea that a lot of us have when it comes to physical exercise, right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to a young man by the name of Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Refuse, Timothy, profane and old wives' tables, fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So here he's saying that bodily exercise is profitable, but not as profitable as some people make it out to be. Um, some people think it is all that life is, is physical exercise. And uh, that is what their whole world revolves around. Not that physical exercise is bad because it does profit, profit but it only profits little. But godliness is profitable, according to Paul, unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. But it takes exercise. He says in that first verse in that passage, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Godliness is not something that happens just on accident. It requires effort. It requires work. It is a workout. Uh, perhaps you've heard of the, uh, the job occupation as a physical trainer or a personal trainer in a gym. You know, you join a gym and they say, hey, with your membership, you get your own personal trainer. Someone who's there to coach you and to inspire you and to motivate you and to chew you out when you don't show up on time and all of that. Well, in this passage, Paul is acting very much like a spiritual personal trainer where he's saying, here, spiritually, here's what we need to do. And, uh, and so uh, this morning, I, wanna, I want you to notice with me three truths that Paul wanted to convey to the Philippians about the greatest workout ever. First of all, he gives them a very important compliment. In verse number 12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. First of all, in this compliment, we see that they were special. They were super special to Paul. He said, 
Uh, Wherefore, my beloved. The word beloved means deer. Not like the deer that you shoot, but the deer that is something very special and precious to someone. If you uh, look over in chapter number 4 and verse number 1, I want you to see that Paul uses this word twice, referring to the Philippians in this verse alone. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You know, there was a special relationship that Paul had with this church family. They were very special to him. The title beloved is only used for those who are held in in closest esteem. This title exhibits an attitude of being dear and and favorite. and is used especially of Christians who are bound together mutually by the love of Christ. It is a title of dignity and honor. And the believers at Philippi held a dear spot in the heart and mind of the apostle. And he he was bound to them. Cornerstone Baptist Church, as I look out this morning and see people that are beloved to me. You're dear to me. And, uh, and so being special, and, and uh, so he gives them the compliment that they're very special, and I want to let you know that you are very special to me as well. And you're ultimately special to God, and that's the most important of all. But no, notice not only were they special, but they were submissive. They were submissive back in chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul was aware that his future was not certain and encouraged these special believers to remain obedient. But they had been obedient. They had a track record of being obedient. When the Apostle Paul noticed something in in their church life that needed to be addressed, he would address it and they responded. How about you? How about me? Are we submissive and obedient to the Lord's direction and correction? Or do we say, look, I'll listen as long as it agrees with the way I'm living, but if, if, if it's asking me to change, uh, go talk to the next guy because I'm not going to change because I'm a Baptist and we don't like change. <laughs> Are we... Uh, submissive and obedient to the Lord? Is our heart, or is our heart hard? And, and do we have some walls up that, you know what? I'm not going to listen to you. The Philippians had a submissiveness about them that they said, hey, look, we want to know what's right and we're willing to change and do what's right. That's the type of Christians God, want, God wants all of us to be. Notice that they were obedient, not only when Paul was there, but also he's encouraging them to obey when he's not. Now, he's not saying obey me. He's ultimately saying, I want you to obey the Lord. But how about us? Are we obedient on Sunday mornings when we're in church? I mean, hopefully, right? It's because we're all watching each other and we're all holding each other accountable on Sunday mornings. But what about on Monday mornings? When it's just you. How about on Monday nights or Tuesday nights or when no one else is watching? Are you still obedient to the word of God and to the truth of the Lord? 
Are you obedient when others are watching and when they are not? David, the man after God's own heart, he was the sweet psalmist of Israel, wrote a good chunk of those psalms, 150 psalms in the, in the book of Psalms. He wrote most of them. And of course, he was used in a great way by the Lord, and he was referred to by God as the man after God's own heart. Well, he must have been perfect, right? He must have always obeyed in every situation. Well, most of us who know the life of David know that there is a, a big asterisk next to his name. With adultery and murder that he committed. But yet when he was confronted with that sin, how did he respond? Quite different than Saul did. When Saul was confronted by Samuel regarding his sin of disobedience to God, he began to justify it. He began to uh, explain it away, but not David. David said, I am the man. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And he wrote a psalm to talk about his confession. How do you act when someone may confront you with your sin? Are you going to be hard-hearted and try to justify it, try to explain it away, give all these excuses? Or are you going to say, you know what? You're right. I've sinned. And I needed you to say that in my life. Thank you, friend, for showing me who I really am. See, this church at Philippi, they were willing to let Paul be their spiritual leader and be their spiritual personal trainer and say, hey, look, here's some things you need to change. And guess what? They did something that most people don't do. They actually changed. They actually listened to what Paul had to say. And he's complimenting them and saying, great job. I've read that uh, when Edward VI, the king of England in the 16th century, he, when he attended a worship service, this is how he did it. He stood while the word of God was being read. He took notes during this time and later studied them with great care. And throughout that week, he earnestly tried to apply them to his life. See, that's the kind of serious-minded response that Paul is referring to here. A single Revealed fact, cherished in the heart, and acted upon is more vital to our growth than a head filled with lofty ideas about God. That's why Paul said to the church at Corinth in his book, knowledge puffeth up. See, the, the thing is, is most Christians, it's not that we are ignorant, although some are, and we do need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. We do need to learn the word of God. But the most problem that Christian have, Christians have is not with ignorance, it's with disobedience. It's with the things that we know that we're not actually doing. And these Philippians, as they began to hear the word of God, they began to respond out of obedience to the word of God. So, friend, when you come to church and you hear something in a message, what are you going to do about it? Or are we just going to be good hearers only and deceiving our own selves? as James puts it. See, God wants us to hear and then to do. It's not enough to just hear, it's we got to do it. The Bereans in the book of Acts, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. 
So every time the word of God was open, whether it was in a church service, whether it was in a uh, personal time of devotion, they, they were receiving the word of God with all readiness of mind. They were saying, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say, and I'm willing to change if you call me to change. Does that describe you? Yes, you're special to me, but are you submissive to the Lord? I hope the answer is yes, and if not, maybe that's a good decision to make today. Maybe that's the first change to make, is to say, Lord, I'm going to be submissive to you. If it's in your word and it's true, I'm going to uh, change my life accordingly. The problem is a lot of us want to change, and a lot of people have changed the word of God to fit their life. Friend, can't do that. The Bible gives some stern warnings about those who tamper with the word of God. When you try to make it say something it's not really saying, you're in dangerous territory, my friend. But the Philippians, they were submissive. They were like the Bereans who received the word with all readiness of mind. And so, first of all, Paul, the uh, spiritual personal trainer, comes in and says, all right, Philippians, first of all, I want to say you're special to me, and I'm so thankful that you've been so submissive. Now let's get to the work. And that leads me to second, second today, the charge he gives them. He gives them an important charge. At the end of verse 12, well, let's read verse 12 again. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I'll just say this to some. This is a very confusing verse um, because it kind of brings some red flags in a lot of people's minds like, hey, I thought we, we couldn't work for our salvation. Remember, I just asked Zach a few minutes ago, is there anything you can do to earn your salvation? And he said, absolutely not. And he's correct because that's what the Bible teaches. And so we're called here to work out our own salvation. So first of all, notice the what of this charge. We are to work out our own salvation. Now, to make things very, very clear this morning, we are saved by grace through faith alone. Notice works are not mentioned in that statement. Romans 11 and verse 6, Paul says to the Romans, and if by grace then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. I call this the tongue twister of the Bible, but here it is. Well, and that in Romans chapter 7, when he goes, the things that I would do that I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing, and that's another tongue twister. But, but Romans eleven six, he says, look, it can either only be by grace, or it can only be by works. And we're told in Isaiah that all our righteousnesses, all the works that we could ever muster up in our human strength are but filthy rags in God's eyes. And so we know that it is not of works. In Ephesians chapter 2, most of you may be thinking of this reference right now. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. 
So it's nothing that we can do to get ourselves saved. But that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Notice verse 10 of that passage. So we're not, we're not saved by works, but verse 10, the very next verse says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto, what are the next two words? Does anybody know? Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by works. We're saved unto works. Here's the statement on your outline if you're taking notes this morning. While we cannot work for our salvation, we should work out our salvation. Here's what we're going to be talking about this morning is what does that mean? The greatest workout ever. Before we get into it, I do want to cover here three aspects of salvation. Three I guess you could call them phases of salvation. First of all is justification. And this means that we are saved from the penalty of sin. This is the moment of salvation that we talk about. Being born again, trusting Christ as your Savior, believing on Christ, repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. That moment that you were saved that is when you were justified. And at that moment, you were saved from the penalty of sin. No longer will you have to face that penalty on your own because Christ already faced it for us. Justification. It's, you've been justified. And, and one way to say justified is just if I'd never sin. And so as God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Christ that has taken away my sin. Justify. Justification is, that's what happens in that moment of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you've not been justified, you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you and challenge you to make that decision today, September 15th, 2019. Make today your spiritual birthday. So first of all, we see justification, but then secondly, we see sanctification. And this is, where we're being saved from the power of sin. And this is the ongoing working out our own salvation that Paul's talking about here in Philippians chapter 2. Sanctification is an ongoing process that we're all supposed to be growing and maturing in Christ, being conformed in the image of His dear Son. This is sanctification. And this is something that will not be completed until God calls us home. There's not going to come a point in time where like, I am completely sanctified. I have arrived. This is what it looks like. That's not going to happen for any of us until we get to glory. And aren't you glad this isn't what it looks like? <laughs> like, that's not really motivating. <laughs> You're kind of the before picture, not the after picture. Come on. But sanctification is the second phase. And then thirdly, and this is what I'm looking forward to most, and that is glorification. Saved from the presence of sin. And this is going to be someday in the future when we're in the presence of the Lord in glory. Miss Connie's brother just went to heaven yesterday afternoon about 1.30. At that moment, he was glorified. 
The glorification took place in his life at that moment. And he has been saved from the presence of sin. No longer will he be tempted to uh, think something wrong, say something wrong, do something wrong. It's over. I'm looking forward to that. That's not going to happen in this life. It's going to happen in the next. Three phases or aspects of salvation. I want us to make us very clear on this because a lot of people confuse verse number 12 and say, look, you have to work for your salvation. No, it says work out your salvation. Big difference. Big difference. You see, working out our salvation means that we're growing in Christ. And Peter tells us to do that at the end of his epistle in in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, I know maybe what you're thinking. You're like growing in grace, exercising yourself unto godliness. That sounds like work. (laughs) I thought the Christian life was supposed to be like a cakewalk. You know, this easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Actually, many times it's difficult, difficult, lemon difficult, okay? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it requires some effort and some discipline and some sacrifice, some self-denial. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's not like, hey, all of your problems are solved and your life is going to be a cakewalk now that you've gotten saved. No, Sanctification in this world, in this present world, requires a little effort. It requires a little discipline. I read this story here. This is, this is an older story back in 1972, uh, back before I was even uh, alive. But on set, Saturday, December 23rd, 1972, Richard uh, Necht of Prospect, Oregon, set out to shatter the existing world sit-up record. For the past six months, a Marine Corps captain had held the record with an amazing 17,007 sit-ups at once. Well, Necht was determined to capture the title for his family team, which tours the nation demonstrating the utmost in physical fitness. He began the grueling attempt in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and 11 hours and 14 minutes later, he had shattered the record with... 25,222 sit-ups. I can barely do two sit-ups. Now, this obviously probably took a lot of years of training in preparing for this tremendous feat, right? Well, not as many as you might think, because when he set the record, Richard Nett was only eight years old. If an eight-year-old can put that type of effort into that type of a record... How much more should we as believers put some effort into working out our own salvation and growing in Christ and maturing in Him and growing? Fortunately, I am sad to report that many Christians are spiritually weak, spiritually flabby, and spiritually out of shape. But this isn't something new. You see, there were many Christians in the New Testament who failed to work out their own salvation. They failed to show up to the spiritual gym. Consider some of these examples here. The Corinthians failed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, 
But I had to speak unto you as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. He said, I wanted to give you some things that would help you, uh, that, that were more advanced, but we're still doing Christianity 101 all these years later. Like, come on, let's grow. Stop, stop being a baby in Christ. So the Corinthians failed to work out their own salvation. They didn't understand the necessity to uh, put in the effort, put in the, uh, the discipline and the sacrifice to grow in Christ. Well, the Hebrews were also guilty of being spiritually flabby. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. He said, I wanted to share some things that were a little more difficult, but you couldn't handle it. He said, for, the when, for when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And, and there become such a need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the author of Hebrews is uh, also chiding these, these Christians for not growing, for not working out their own salvation. And as a result, they weren't effective. See, the idea is that I get to the point where I can then become a spiritual personal trainer to someone else. And I can help someone else grow. Um, but the problem is a lot of Christians aren't willing to put in the effort, to put in the work, to put in the discipline, because we're too busy with our own lives. Okay, so let's, uh, let's take this example here of physically uh, being physically fit. How would one do that? Well, first of all, diet would be one that we would hit. You know, exercise is one. We'll get to that in a second. But usually personal trainers will say, first we need to talk about what's going inside. And then we'll start talking about, you know, the weights and the, and the running and all of that. But you would first address the diet. Remove the junk and replace with the healthy stuff. Spiritually, same thing. Let's look at our diet. What are we consuming with our lives? What kind of influencing, influences are we inviting into our lives? What kind of media are we allowing in our lives? These are... In many cases, many Christians are so addicted to the junk of this world that they don't like the taste of healthy stuff, spiritually speaking. Bible, that's boring. That's not exciting. That doesn't have the lights and the glamour and the drama and the action and the violence. The problem is we're consuming too much junk that we've lost our appetite for the good stuff. So I want to encourage us as believers to take inventory of our spiritual diet. And by the way, some of us are pretty careful to do that with our physical diet, but we're less concerned and less careful about our spiritual diet. Can I encourage you? Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness profiteth unto all things. Let's get the priority where it needs to be, and it's not on our bodies. 
Now, again, I'm for taking care of the temple. I'm for having healthiness because we have one vehicle in which to serve the Lord, and that's the body God's given us. However, our body is not going to live forever. And if this is where we're putting our affection, and this is where we're putting our time, and this is where we're putting our whole heart and mind in, friend, you're putting in something that's going to burn someday. I would encourage you to focus on making sure that your spiritual diet is healthy. And then we get into the uh, then we get into the exercise, right? Again, the first day of exercise isn't so bad, but then you're all sore the next day for like three days. That's that's my least favorite part of exercising is the is the day after the first day. Then your legs are yelling at you, and you're you can't even laugh, you can't cough, you can't sneeze without your stomach crying. I mean, it's horrible. Obviously, months later, if you stay with it, all that stuff doesn't bother you, and you're starting to look pretty good and feel pretty good. Spiritually, is the same way. A lot of times, the first time you get into it, you're like, I didn't really understand what I read. Forget it. I didn't really enjoy that reading of the Bible. Prayer, okay, I didn't see any answers as I walked through my day. Forget it. Didn't work. Again, like exercise, physical exercise, you work out once and then look in the mirror, it's not all of a sudden going to be like, you know. You're not going to look like me after the first day of exercise, in other words. Just kidding. Um, you're not going to look like this big bodybuilder after one day of doing three push-ups. Like, let's see how the uh, progress is going. You're not going to notice any progress. But you got to stay faithful and stay with it. Work out your own salvation. Spiritually, do you get it? You got to be faithful. You got to stay with it. And then you'll look back and say, wow, look at where I've come. And boy, as you start working out and check the mirror every day, you know, and you're not going to really see a lot of like, because it's so gradual. Same thing spiritually. You're not going to see a bunch of growth all at once. It's going to take place, and, or it's going to be gradual. And then months later, years later, you're going to look back and say, boy, look at where the Lord has brought me. Praise the Lord, because you stayed with, you stayed with it. Exercise, daily time in God's word, daily time in prayer, being faithful to God's house, getting involved in serving the Lord by serving others, witnessing, and the list could go on and on, giving and and. Uh, a lot of other things in the Christian life will we'll, we'll, we'll continue on, though. <laughs> so that's the what of the charge that Paul gives uh, the, the Philippians. But notice the, why, the way, the way. In uh, verse 12, again, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Well, what does that mean? This insinuates that we are to be serious and sober-minded about growing in Christ and working out our own salvation not nonchalant about it, not like, oh, this isn't really for me. Not flipping about it. No, no, we're to take this very seriously because working, our, working out our own salvation is important and vital. We have, uh, I have in my office, and I brought it out here this morning, a very special dish, candy dish. It holds my candy. It's very special. 
Well, my wife let me use this. But let's suppose that this was, you know, passed down from generation to generation, and it's this priceless heirloom. And my wife says, okay, you can use it in your office, but, I mean, be careful with it because it's, it's pretty valuable. I mean, it's got a lot of sentimental value, not to mention it's probably financially val- uh, valuable. And she gives that to me, and then I say, oh, sure, I'll, uh, I'll treat it really good. I'll be careful with it, you know. So, yeah, um, I wish my wife was in here because she would be going, oh, right now. <laughs> She's out working with the children at the moment. But, but if, if the Lord or if someone gave you something valuable and you treated it like this, like it's no big deal, that's not, that's not the way you would handle it naturally. Naturally, you'd be like, oh, yeah, let me put this down. Let's make sure it's, you know. Hey, everybody stay away. This is special. This is valuable. God has given you the most valuable gift known to man, the gift of salvation. But you know how a lot of Christians treat their salvation? No big deal. No big deal. What God wants us to do is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling like, this is important. I better make sure I take care of this. I better make sure that I'm growing in the Lord because this is so precious to me. Paul said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He said, this is so precious and I treasure it so much. I I can't even really put into words how important and precious this is to me. How do you treat your salvation? God wants us to work out our own salvation and grow in Christ as if it's something precious and treasured. And it is. But let's treasure it. What if we were to say this morning that we need to work out our own marriage with fear and trembling? Well, if we chose to do that, marriage is an investment. And the more we invest in it, the more we enjoy, uh, the more enjoyment we should get from it. And isn't that true? The more you invest in your marriage, the more you get out of it. What about working out your own school studies with fear and trembling? Knowing that if I apply myself and learn the lessons the first time through, I'll be better equipped for life and my vocation. What about working out our own business endeavors with fear and trembling? Knowing that a diligent and honest hand will not lead to poverty and want. So so work out your own salvation then with fear and trembling, knowing that the Christ-honoring life will yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness in this world and a reward uh, for the one to come. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the what and that's the way. Secondly, or thirdly here, I want us to see the companion. And this is found in verse number 13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You say, working out my own salvation, that takes a lot of work, and that sounds really hard, and that sounds almost impossible. Well, good news, friend. You don't have to do it alone. It says in verse number 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
We don't have to do it alone. We get the greatest companion of all, and that is God himself who comes alongside and equips and strengthens and encourages us to keep going forward. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, I have this posted in my office. This is an encouragement to me. And it says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So God has called me to serve him and And it's not going to be everything, anything that good that happens. It's not me that did it. It's the Lord who did it through me. And when it comes to working out my own salvation, same thing is true. God has called me to work out my own salvation, and faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 I have planted, Paul said, Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then he says, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. So we're laborers together with God. This is not something we have to be lone rangers in, working out our own salvation. No, God comes alongside and helps and encourages and equips and strengthens. First of all, he gives us the desire uh, in verse number 13, both, which work within you both to will and to do of good pleasure. He gives us the desire. This is the want to grow. This is the desire to grow in the Lord. This is the desire to be sanctified and to grow in Christ. Paul certainly had a desire in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And later he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He had a desire to keep growing. should be natural. This should be a natural thing that Christians want to do. Hey, what's the first step as a believer? Get baptized? Sign me up. When can I, when can I do that? It's, it, physically, it's natural, right? Most, most children or most people, this is the course of action. The little ones want to be big ones. There does come a point where big ones want to become little ones <laughs> later on in life, but Young people are always looking forward to what's next, aren't they? Um, when, the, when they're babies and they see other little babies crawling, they're like, I want to learn how to do that too. I want to start moving around. So they start crawling, and I want to start talking. So they start talking and start walking, running. Then it's like, I want to be a big kid and go to school. Then they get to school and realize, I want to be a little kid again and not go to school. But they want to they be a big kid. They want to go to school, and then... And then they grow up a little bit more, and I want to have a job. Then they get a job, and again, they go, well, that was a mistake. You remember, you remember guys when you wanted to, like, I can't wait till I can start shaving, you know? And you kind of look in the mirror and check, oh, there are peach fuzz. Oh, let me go shave. I need to shave that off. Start shaving. Uh, you know, driving, having freedom and independence. And then later on, it's having responsibility, and then it's like, Oh, I want to get married. Then you get married, and then, well, we want to have children. By the way, it ought to be in that order, getting married and then having children. just want to make that clear to the young people. That is the order. Get married first, then have children. And then 
becoming financially secure and, and on and on it goes in life. We're just kind of looking for what's next. And spiritually speaking, we should be doing the same thing. If baptism is the first step, I want to take it. Having daily time with the Word of God, tell me what that looks like. I want to do that. Being part and faithful in a church and joining it, being, being a member of a church, what do I need to do to do that? Getting involved in ministry, what ministry can I serve in? I want to help. I want to serve. Witnessing, teach me how to do that. I want to do that. Do you see? This should be the natural desire for Christians, and the Lord gives us that desire. He gives us that desire to grow. Here's a reference you can write down. I'm not going to take the time to read down through it. It's, it's a lengthy passage. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. It talks about the spiritual growth of a Christian. I would encourage you to read that over and, uh, and ask yourselves, have I added these things to my life? Uh, this, is the, this is the spiritual edition uh, passage, and I would encourage you to read down through that. So God gives us the desire to grow, but he also gives us the determination. Again, in verse number 13, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Having the right desire is good, but friend, that's not enough. At some point, we must do the work. We must execute the plan. God gives us the determination to carry out the desires he gives us to grow. And then it says here in, at the end of that verse, to do of his good pleasure. His good pleasure. God is pleased when his will is accomplished. Think about in creation as he was creating the different things in each day. And at the end of it, what does it say? It was good. And when he got to the end of creation, it says it was very good. And when you and I work out our own salvation in fear and trembling with God as our great companion, it will bring him good pleasure as well. The greatest workout ever. You say, well, that sounds, sounds intense. Well, Paul, the great, effective, spiritual, personal trainer, gives us one last thing, and I'll share this and I'll be done. And that is the very first verse of verse 12 that I kind of skipped over, if you noticed. It's the one word, wherefore. Wherefore is a connecting word from what just took place to what the author is about to say. And in that word, wherefore, we see the why of doing all of this. The why of working out for the Lord. Spiritually speaking, why should we put in the effort? Why should we put in the sacrifice? Why should we grow in Christ? Well, because of all that Christ did for us. See, whenever the word wherefore is used, we need to look back and see what it's referring to. And the passage before talks about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his exaltation. And because of all of that, we should be willing to follow him and live a life pleasing to Christ. The song we sang a little bit ago, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, the last verse of that song says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. But love, so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, it demands my life, and it demands my all.
2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live shall not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The greatest workout ever. How are you doing? When was the last time you've been to the spiritual gym? How is your spiritual diet? I would encourage you to make some changes where changes are needed. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and how, how we need to hear it. Lord, I know that as I was studying for this, I was realizing there's areas in which I've become spiritually flabby and out of shape. Lord, I pray that you would help me to work out my own salvation with that fear and trembling, recognizing how precious and how uh, wonderful this gift of salvation is. Help me to be a wise steward of that. Help me, Lord, to work out my own salvation so that I can enjoy the blessings of that, but then also be effective for your honor and glory. Lord, I pray for these, my friends, my beloved church family, that you would help them to do the same. Help us all, Lord, to be submissive to the word of God and to the spiritual encouragement that we've received this morning. Help us to be submissive, not just good hearers, but doers of the word. We pray these things in Christ's name.